0: They are our 11 Warriors. Yes. They are the 11 Warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be
1: around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom on our post Peach Bowl, postseason edition of Real Pod Wednesdays as Ohio State football season came to an end on Saturday night. In Atlanta, Ohio State in a very competitive game with Georgia, ultimately falling 42-41 to after Georgia scored a go-ahead touchdown with 54 seconds remaining in the game. And Noah Ruggles was unable to make a 50-yard field goal in the final seconds of the game. A game that, you know, I think in, in many ways was pretty close to what we expected, Griffin. You know, we, we thought Ohio State was going to play better, was going to be a lot more competitive than it was against Michigan. That was the case. But ultimately, uh, Ohio State unable to make, you know, a one or two extra plays that it needed to win this game. And, and that's certainly going to make this one a, a tough pill to swallow for the Buckeyes and their fans because it felt like Ohio State had had many chances to win this game, but Georgia's a really good team too. And at the end of the day, Georgia was just the team that was able to make that one extra play and come out on top.
0: Yeah, Dan, like uh, just like a minute or two before we started rolling on this podcast here, one of my friends texted me and said, I think that OSU loss was, you know, possibly the most devastating one I've ever experienced. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of people are going to side with with that line of thinking because Dan, I mean, tell me if you thought this way, but, you know, after seeing TCU beat Michigan and, you know, TCU's obviously no pushover, especially after what we saw in that game, but, you know, perceived as, you know, the the weakest link of the four teams in the CFP this year, knowing that TCU was going to be on the other end of that national championship equation and seeing how well Ohio State was playing against Georgia for stretches in the Peach Bowl, I was sitting there for a moment with Ohio State up 14 and I was like, Man, Ohio State really might win it all. Like despite the Michigan loss and everything, Ohio State looks right now in this game, you know, up 14 points going into the fourth quarter. I was like, Ohio State might win it, win it all. And then of course, like you said, you know, some bad breaks, some close calls, not being able to make, you know, that that one extra play, right? And Ohio State ends up, you know, going back to the drawing board here without any championship hardware.
1: Yeah, I think it did feel for a lot of that game, like Ohio State was going to win that game. And I think you're right that it felt like if Ohio State won that game, if they beat Georgia, that they were going to have a very good chance to go win the national championship. And so I do think, you know, that makes this certainly a very, a very tough loss to swallow. You know, I think, you know, every, everybody, you know, has a tendency to live in a moment. So to say the most devastating loss in Ohio State history, I, I don't know that I can go that far. But, you know, certainly, you know, I, I, I think it feels very reminiscent to what happened in 2019 uh, against Clemson. And you could kind of, we could sit here and debate which loss was more painful. Ultimately, you know, that's, that's for every fan to kind of know for themselves, how, how their own emotions felt in that moment. I I think for me, you know, the the difference between the two that I, I kind of feel is I think in 2019, we went into that game thinking, this is an Ohio State team that's a national championship caliber team. Just how dominant Ohio State had been that season, I really felt going into that game that if Ohio State beat Clemson, that they they were a national championship caliber team. Now, in hindsight, I I think that LSU team was so good. I mean, you you look at how good Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Joe Burrow all are in the NFL right now, and in hindsight, I go – Eh, Ohio State probably wouldn't win the national championship that year. And so when you when you look at it in that context, this one becomes almost more painful because of a fact that I think Ohio State would have had a much better chance to beat TCU than it would have had to beat LSU three years ago. Now, you know, you know, the flip side of that is going into this game. I don't think many Ohio State fans really thought this Ohio State team was a national championship team just because of what had happened against Michigan and some of the flaws that we had seen from this team, some of which came back to bite it in this game. But I think as well as they played for most of that game, how close they came to beating the team that most people fought and still think is going to win the national championship, that changes your perspective. And now it's like, damn, we were that close to having a chance to go play for a national championship. And, and I'm sure that a lot of people are going to be watching that game on Monday night thinking, man, we should be here.
0: Yeah, I would, I think I would actually argue that the 2019 loss could be you know, perceived as more painful because, you know, like you mentioned, Ohio State went into that 2019 game undefeated. You know, they did have that. You know the slip up there in the Big Ten championship game for a bit in the the Wisconsin game that year, but they still end up coming back and, and winning that one by double digits. This year, the Michigan loss was was so deflating for Ohio State, and even though they got into the CFP, you know expectations were were down going into the CFP. I think compared to that year, so while that that window did open up, you know when Ohio State was rolling there for a minute against Georgia, you know I, I think that's kind of why at the end of the game, you know Ryan Day. Wasn't wasn't down on the performance and things like that nearly as much. And I, I think there's still and we'll talk about this more, but you know you talk about a moral victory. I mean, it's hard to, to say that in this game, especially for Ohio State football in general. But, you know, it, it did feel like Ohio State still made a, a very good account of it itself despite the loss.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a different vibe than there was after the Michigan loss where it seemed like the the, the fan base was in a fire everybody and, and burn down everything mood. I, I think the, the vibe certainly feels different after this one because of how competitive o- Ohio State was. I mean, I've seen far less fire Ryan Day tweets out there than, than I saw five weeks ago. And so I think, you know, I think the fact that Ohio State was as competitive as it was, even in defeat, gave some Ohio state fans more confidence in Ryan day, more confidence in the direction and the culture of a program, because we did see that, you know, Ohio state was good enough to win that game. Like they, you can, they were absolutely good enough to win that game. And if they had won that game, they'd be playing for a national championship last week. And so I think, you know, just seeing how competitive Ohio state was certainly was reason to feel like, you know, Ohio State was still one of the best teams in the country this year. Ohio State belonged in the college football playoff, and they weren't that far off from being a national championship caliber team. Now, the, the reason why Ohio State isn't going to be going to the national championship game, if we have to boil it down to one thing, I think that's the defense. Because we, we talked about it last week. We, we kind of had the conversation of what we thought Ohio State needed to do on both sides of the ball to win this game. And we said, you know, we thought the offense needed to score in the forties and that's where they got. And we felt like the defense needed to hold Georgia in the thirties. And the defense was not able to, to hold up its end of that bargain, giving up 42 points. If you, if you look at the final three games of the season, you did this research, Griffin, that Ohio state's defense gave up 117 points, which is the most the Buckeyes have ever allowed in their last three games of the year. On top of that, Ohio State allowed 8.88 yards per play against Georgia. That's the most yards per play Ohio State has ever allowed in the game, topping the 8.83 allowed against Michigan in the previous game. And so, you know, we, we talked about it so much during the year, and, I, and I, I remember saying it a lot of times on this podcast during the year, that even though Ohio State's defense was highly ranked, I had my concerns. I, I, I All year, I, I kind of had a feeling in my mind that th- this defense was still going to be this team's Achilles heel, and we certainly saw it in these last two, even last three games that when Ohio State's defense played against better competition, it got exposed, and while I would still say that the defense was certainly better as a whole this year than last year. I mean, last year, Ohio State ranked 59th in the country in total defense. This year, they ranked 14th. And so I, I would still say that Jim Knowles made this defense better, that the defense was better than it was a year ago. It wasn't good enough in the games that really mattered. And at Ohio State, you ultimately get measured by how you perform in big games. And so I think, without a doubt, when you assess the end of this season, it was a big disappointment for the Ohio State defense.
0: Yeah, Dan, I, I had Georgia scoring forty-five points in my in my prediction, so I can't say I was completely shocked to see them end up scoring forty-two points. And you know, you mentioned the the point totals there. Ohio State gave gave up eighty-seven in the last two games of this season, which is the same exact amount of points they gave up in the last two games of last season, and of course. On the back of those last two games last season, it was you know clearly there's there are problems with the defense. You know they, they were identified well before those two games anyway, but that was the point the point at which you know changes were made. And you, you see this year in the first year under Knowles, in terms of the points put on the board, there was literally no change at all when it came to the biggest games of the season. And yeah, I think people forget the the one game before the Michigan game was also the the Maryland game where you know the Terps ended up putting up 30 points on the Buckeyes as well. So, you know, at this point it's kind of like, where do they go from here? But I think, you know, y- you can take solace perhaps if you're a Buckeye fan and the fact that, you know, we've thought for a while and looking at Jim Knowles' track record in, in his past couple of stops that, you know, the scheme might take more than one year to really kind of take root and have serious, tangible impacts. And, you know, perhaps he just needs a little bit more time. But I also think there's something to be said, Dan, about the fact that, you know, college football these days, it, it these games are going to be high scoring. I mean, look at the other CFP semifinal game and, you know, the fact that Ryan Day came into the game saying we might need to score 49, 50 points. They did need to score 49, 50 points and the offense did show up, you know, it, it really did show up in this game. But, you know, if, if the defense makes one more stop, you know, if some of those bad breaks don't, you know, end up going George's way, we could be talking about a different thing here.
1: Yeah. I mean, you look at it. Georgia's defense was one of the best in the country this year, and they gave up 41 points to Ohio State. Michigan's defense was one of the best in the country this year. They gave up 51 to TCU. So, so certainly that has been the trend of, of really high scoring games in the CFP. Ryan Day was, was right about that when, when he said that. But, you know, I, I, I still think that you know, the end of the season was not good enough for the defense, particularly in, in the department of giving up explosive plays. We saw it be a huge problem against Michigan. It, it continued to be a problem against Georgia. Georgia hit 10 plays of 20 plus yards, including four plays of 35 plus yards. And really for the second game in a row, you know, that was the difference in the game that o- Ohio state's defense gave up those explosive plays of uh, those game changing plan kind of plays that ultimately tilted the game. In in Georgia's favor. Now, you know, Jim Knowles isn't getting fired. I've seen, like I said, I haven't seen much fire Ryan Day after that game. I have seen some fire Jim Knowles after that game. That's not going to happen. But he certainly has work to do now to earn that $1.9 million salary. Because I I said it way back in July and August when Ryan Day and Jim Knowles made these comments. And I'll say it again now. Ryan Day said at Big Ten media days, but he expected Ohio State to have a top 10 defense. Jim Knowles doubled down on that and said, I expect us to have a top five defense. So that's the standard we have to hold them to. And Ohio State did not meet that standard. Statistically, they weren't that far off, but it was pretty clear in the last two to three games of a season that Ohio State's defense was not at that level. I mean, you look at the first 10 games of a season, if you go through and you look statistically at the opponents they played in those games, most of those teams did not have good offenses this year. And so I think when when this team really got tested, I mean, if you're looking at which teams did they play that actually have good offenses, it was Georgia, Michigan, Maryland, and Penn State, and all those teams scored over 30 points. So I think it's clear that you know the defense is, is still flawed. There's still problems with Ohio State's defense. And like you said, Jim Knowles' track record has been one of over, you know, two, three, four years building building up defenses and eventually getting to that really high standard. And so I think there is reason for optimism that the defense will be better in Jim Knowles' second year. And Certainly, you know I don't think any rash decisions are going to be made here because of a couple bad games at the end of the season, but there's certainly still a lot to prove here for Jim Knowles, who's one of the highest paid defenses coordinators in the country at $1.9 million. The expectation that comes with that is that Ohio State will have one of the best defenses in the country, and they're not quite there yet. So he's got to work to get Ohio State to that standard next year.
0: Yeah, Dan. There, there's a lot of talk going into this one oh. on the heels of the Michigan game, where we saw some of Knowles' kind of aggressive tendencies come back to bite them. Obviously, you talk about all the explosive plays, and that was one of those swing moments in the Georgia game. Of of course, was the the Lathan Ransom slip that enabled that 76 yard Georgia touchdown in the fourth quarter. And you know, a, a criticism that that came out right away after that was the play call because you know L- Ransom didn't have any help over the top there. And so it was another situation where, you know, kind of a gamble with a, a one-on-one situation, a safety versus a wide receiver that, that ends up in a huge, you know, game-changing play that that really helped to swing things. But of course, it, and we've already alluded to this, but you know, that, that was far from the only moment that helped swing things in Georgia's favor. And there was a lot of moments, a lot of close calls, a lot of things that that really could have flipped things. You talk about, you know, the, the Curry smart timeout right before the Ohio State. You know fake punt that you know potentially would have allowed them to avenge the, the 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 botched fake punt situation from the Michigan game you talk about the hit on Marvin Harrison Jr in the back of the end zone was it targeting was it not targeting you know ends up it was called targeting the field ends up being overturned you know Ohio State loses Marvin Harrison Jr for the rest of the game with the concussion you, you also you know Ohio State had basically four points taken off the board when you consider the fact that 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 penalty would have potentially put them right in position to punch in a touchdown at that stage in the game at the end of the fourth quarter. Instead they have to take three points. And you know, the, the passing game, I think they only had 29, 29 yards passing after Harrison left the game. So, you know, if that can, that just goes to show the impact of of Harrison being off the field there. And Dan, there was even, there was even more close calls and, and bad breaks for the Buckeyes, you know, before and after that point, if you want to dive into any of those.
1: I mean, I, I know there was the, the fourth down stop that they almost had that they got over, you know, so that that was another one. But, you know, I, I want to go back to the defense here for a minute, because we, we did get several questions about the defense, you know, in our questions this week. And, you know, one of them was asked by Carolina Buck about, you know, one of the unanimous thoughts following the game was Ohio State needs to step up its recruiting game on the defensive side of the ball. RV's claims about our recruiting prowess or, or lack thereof on the defensive side of the ball true. And I mean, I, I think the thing I would say to answer that question is the defensive struggles have been persistent across several coaching staffs now. And so, you know, I, I, I think, like you said, I, I think there's a lot of things you could scrutinize with Jim Knowles' defensive play calls over the last couple games. And I think that he needs to take a hard look at those things and determine whether there are things he needs to do different schematically next year, particularly in these big games. So that, you know, Ohio state players aren't in positions where one mistake is going to lead to a backbreaking touchdown. But I also think, you know, the, the other side of that is the idea of, okay, how much of it is play calling, you know, how, how much of it is scheme, you know, Jim, you know, Jim Knowles, I, I, I respect that Jim Knowles after both those losses came out and said, you know, it's on me. It's on my calls. It's not about the players. I've got to put the players in better situations. So he's, he's taking that accountability for, for things going wrong. And ultimately it is his responsibility. It comes back to him as somebody who Ohio state has called the quote, head coach of a defense. It's his job ultimately to yeah. use the pieces he has and, and, Put them in a position to be successful because he has more talent at his disposal at ohio state than he's ever had before in his career so there's no real excuse for not being able to make it work because he, he's he got lots of talent to work with and you know if, if you're a schematic genius that you're supposed to be you you got to find a way to be able to make that work with the talent you have and so i think Certainly, it starts with Jim Knowles and, 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 and making the improvements that he needs to make to his scheme to put those players in the best positions to succeed. But, you know, I, I, I also think that you, you have to look as well as, you know, does Ohio State have good enough personnel on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, have they had good enough personnel on, on the defensive side of the ball? The last few years, because, you know, I mean, you think back to, you know, even, you know, 2019, which is, you know, the best defense they've had in the last five years easily, you know, you, you had Chase Young, you had Jeff Okuda, you know, you had some real superstars on that side of the ball. I, I don't think Ohio State has quite had that the last few years. And, you know, I think particularly in, in this game, you know, a Michigan game as well, but, you know, we talked so much last week going into this game about how important the safeties were going to be in this game and coverage. And if it's a defense, Jim Knowles has said all along, it's a quote, safety driven defense. So we knew all along that safety play was going to be really important for for Ohio State being able to execute this defense. And, you know, I've been very pro Ronnie Hickman all year long, you know, Leif and Ransom had a lot of great moments this year. I said that, you know, Tanner McAllister, I thought was a really good addition A guy who's a really solid player, but to to put it simply, they just weren't good enough in the last couple games of the year. That Ohio State really needed those guys to be great against Georgia, and and they weren't. And so I I think you know that that's a big part of it. And again, how much of that is based on them not being schemed up to play at fair best? That's probably part of it. Some of it's probably just those guys not executing the plays well enough, but. You know, I, I look at something like that, and, and that's kind of something that stands out of they needed those guys to be able to play at an elite level, and, and they just weren't able to do it in this game.
0: Yeah, and I think the the recruiting kind of aspect of that is certainly an interesting question. And, you know, Ohio State did just bring in a five-star safety, you know, just last year with with Sonny Styles. So, you know, that's certainly a player to watch, especially with the safeties potentially leaving this year. But I think when you look at like this this year's recruiting class and stuff, I think you can look at you know the the pickups in the secondary and stuff and, and kind of think where are the the five star corners coming in down the pipeline? You know more you know five star talent in the secondary is that coming in? And you know right now in terms of this incoming freshman class, it's not necessarily there. And Dan, an- another question we got asked here is you know what do you think? Needs to to change in the secondary and and I'm I'm never going to pretend to have the answers in terms of X's and O's solutions and things like that. There are certainly people out there that are better at that type of thing than I am. But do you see overarching things that have to change in, in terms of that personnel grouping straight away for the Buckeyes to have success in big games like this?
1: Yeah, I mean it's, it's hard to pinpoint one thing, right? I mean it, I I don't you know I don't know that it's as simple as oh, you know, this player is not good enough or or this thing they're doing schematically isn't good enough. I I don't know that it's that simple. I mean, I think certainly one, you know, criticism that has been made coming out of that game is, you know, why is Ohio State playing so much man coverage when maybe the guys on the back end just aren't good enough to play man-to-man on every single play? I think that's a fair question. Jim Knowles did say after a game when he was asked about that, that, you know, they kept the coverage pretty basic, that they weren't in man all the time, that they were mixing things up and that, you know, Georgia has found answers for them. You know, I mean, Todd Munkins, a really good offensive coordinator. When we had Kyle Jones on the show a few weeks ago, he talked about that, about how good, how good Georgia is at confusing opponents and and finding answers to whatever you throw at them. And I think we certainly saw that again in this game. But I think, you know, G- Georgia's offense played a fantastic game. You know, Stetson Bennett did a really good job of making a place that Georgia needed him to make with the game on the line. You know, I had mentioned Kenny McIntosh as a receiver out of a backfield being a guy that I thought was going to do some damage in this game, and he did. You know, I think if, if you you know, you look at this box score, I think one but one stat that does really stand out as a, a glaring stat is Arian Smith, their wide receiver, having free catches for 129 yards on a touchdown. Because before Saturday's game, Arian Smith had free catches for 66 yards for the entire season. In, in, in fact, Arian Smith had never had more than one catch in a single game before Saturday. So it was kind of like with Cornelius Johnson in the Michigan game, where they let this unknown receiver go off and have a career game against him. You know, that's certainly something that stands out. And you look at the big plays he made on one of those plays, Leif and ransom falls down in coverage. There's nobody there to help him. He goes for a 76 yard touchdown. Another one of those plays brought me back to Devontae Smith on tough Borland because somehow Arian Smith got matched up with Tommy Eichenberg in one-on-one coverage. And that's just not the, the, the matchup you want Tommy Eikenberg to be in. So there was clearly a a breakdown there on the back end that, that put him in a bad position. And so I, I, I certainly do think that, you know, the scheme on the back end, the play calls on the back end need to be evaluated. I mean, I think, you know, I, you know, I don't think the corners of a reason why they lost against Georgia, but I I do think that, you know, certainly I don't think it was a great first year for Tim Walton. I mean, I, I think the, the cornerback play, was inconsistent throughout the season. And so I think Tim Walton's got a lot to prove going into his second year as Ohio State's cornerbacks coach. And, you know, Perry Eliano, I, I you know, I, I thought he did a great job for most of the year. But again, in the biggest games of the year, the, the safety's performance dipped. And so certainly, you know, I think both of those guys on the back end in tandem with Jim Knowles, they've got, you know, a lot of things to work on there to try to improve this secondary for next year. But, you know, I I, it, I also, you know, thought it was notable that, you know, a question we were asked for, by Buckeye Chief, he made the comment of, I watched a lot of bowl games this season and it seemed like secondaries throughout college football were terrible and defenses, especially in the CFP, were non-existent. That goes back to what Griffin was talking about earlier. And I, I think I, I I mentioned that comment to say, when we talk about the secondary, I think the secondary needs to be better than it was, but I also think we need to keep expectations realistic because I think it's just reality right now that in, in the game of college football, elite offenses are ahead of elite defenses. And so the idea of having a secondary, that's going to just shut down and blanket opponents all game, that's going to be a hard standard to me. It has to be better than it was, but I also think that, you know, this idea of, you know, you're going to just shut teams out through the air, that's that's going to be a hard standard to meet in, in today's level of college football of how good the quarterbacks and the wide receivers have become. And so, you know, I think you you want to see more big plays on the back end. You know, you want to see breaking up, you know, more of those, you know, 50 50 balls, less breakdowns in coverage than we saw from Ohio State this year. But I also think that, you know, if you look at the Ohio State secondary compared to other secondaries across the sport, you know, it's it's not as if o- Ohio State is way behind where the secondaries are for other top programs. You know, I think there's certainly room to improve and certainly not as good as they should be at Ohio State. But I also don't think there's like this massive gap between – what Ohio state is doing on the back end of its defense and what other teams are doing.
0: And if there's a positive for Ohio state after that game, I think it's gotta be the fact that it it wasn't a, an underwhelming performance on both sides of the ball, right. For, for really the second straight game to end the season, because like we said, the Ohio state offense was humming there in that game against the arguably the best defense in the country. CJ Stroud in particular you know, perhaps given given the stakes, you know, given the level of competition, perhaps the best game C.J. Stroud has ever played. He went twenty three for thirty four, three hundred and forty eight yards, four passing touchdowns. And if you subtract the the sack yardage, I think he had something like seventy yards rushing too. Perhaps most most notably that twenty seven yard scramble there on the final drive for Ohio State. You know, when he had that scramble, it really looked like Ohio State was was going to be in business to to put that one away with a field goal. Of course. They then didn't end up gaining any more yardage thereafter. But, you know, as we've been talking about a little bit here, in since the loss, you look at the talent around him there on that drive. And it's like, man, not only does, does Stroud not have Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, he didn't have him basically all season, but he doesn't have the guy who his top wideout coming into the season. Travion Henderson's not on the field. You know, Mayan Williams, you know, barely got the ball in that game as he dealt with, with different issues. Even Cade Stover, you know, the, the top, tight end on the team he's not on the field he went out with injury and so you know you you could certainly say if if Ohio State and Stroud had one of those weapons on the field perhaps they end up picking up more yardage there perhaps if if Ryan Day you know doesn't get quite quite as conservative on the the plays that followed that Stroud scramble perhaps Ohio State ends up picking up a few more yards and putting Noah Ruggles into a more comfortable situation but certainly in terms of CJ Stroud he proved everything that that everyone's you know, wanted to see from him, especially with running the ball. That was like the most persistent criticism of his entire career at Ohio State. And he showed a willingness to do that over and over and was effective doing it as well. And nearly won the game for Ohio State with his legs.
1: Yeah. I mean, specifically on the last four possessions of the game, CJ Stroud had 70 rushing yards, which, you know, those were the four possessions that came after Marvin Harrison Jr. was out of a game. And so there was clearly a recognition by C.J. Stroud, I'm sure along with Ryan Day as well, that he needed to use his legs to give Ohio State a chance to win that game. And he did. And and I think that says a lot about C.J. Stroud because, you know, we know that, you know, that probably not his favorite thing to do as a quarterback. We know there was reluctance there for him to run the ball, whether that was his own reluctance or, you know, Ryan Day coaching him not to run the ball. To, to avoid injuries. I think there was probably a little bit of both of that. But when the game was on the line, when the season is on the line, he he stepped up. He did what he needed to do. He he made the plays that he needed to make of his legs when the passing offense wasn't as effective simply because the guy who was one of the two best receivers in college football this year got knocked out of a game with a concussion. And, you know, they had guys out there like, you know, Jaden Ballard and, and Joe Royer, who, you know, nothing against those guys, but those guys barely played this year. I mean, those guys barely had played any first-team snaps, and now all of a sudden, in the fourth quarter against Georgia, you've got those guys out on the field playing key roles. And so, you know, certainly the game plan going into the game was built around guys like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Kate Stover. You take those guys out of the game, that makes life more difficult on the quarterback. And so I think for CJ to play as well as he did to make the plays of both his arms and his legs in that situation. I think it was a spectacular performance by C.J. Stroud, probably the best of his Ohio State career, and I think boosted his legacy, even, even though Ohio State didn't win that game. We talked about him you know, needing that signature win, and he still doesn't necessarily have that, and some people are going to choose to hold that against him. But to me, I look at this game and I say, he did pretty much everything he could to give Ohio state a, a chance to win that game. And so, you know, I think CJ deserves a, a lot of praise for how he performed in that game. And, and I think it, it was really a game that, you know, cemented his place as one of Ohio state's all time, great quarterbacks, even though Ohio state wasn't able to win the game.
0: Yeah. It was like, we talked about the the two Michigan games and really even the Oregon game last year too, saying that, you know, it's, it, it wasn't C.J. Stroud's fault that Ohio State lost those games, but it's not like any of those games you look at as signature performances for C.J. Stroud. You know, they're still kind of held against him and his legacy at Ohio State. This game, however, like, man, he, if anything, it, it like you said, it, it bolstered his legacy there. And Dan, do you have a specific placement for Stroud if you were to say, you know, rank Ohio State quarterbacks? Where Where does C.J. Stroud fall in that kind of pecking order? or I guess at least within the realm of of recent Ohio Ohio State starters.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is something that, you know, I I do want to dive into more at some point, just because, you know, it's something I haven't had the time to really dive deep into yet. But, you know, I think he's pretty high up on the list. I mean, I think to me, like when I think about, you know, and and I'm not really going to include guys like, you know, Rex Kern in this conversation because I never saw him play and it was a very different era of football. So thinking more of, you know, a modern era kind of Ohio State quarterbacks, the guys in the last, you know, 20, 30 years or so. I mean, to me, the guys I put at the top of a list are Troy Smith being the only Ohio State quarterback that's actually won a Heisman trophy, and Justin Fields, who, you know, I think, you know, since I've been covering Ohio State, was the best quarterback Ohio State has had. To me, I put those guys at the top. I think CJ's in that second tier of guys and you know i think you could put Dwayne haskins in that conversation i think you could put braxton miller in that conversation i mean you you put jt barrett in that conversation with all of his career accomplishments but you know off the top of my head i'm inclined to put cj third because you you just look at what he accomplished i mean he's the only ohio state quarterback to ever be a two-time heisman finalist he ranks First or second in basically all the major passing categories in, in Ohio State history. And so I I I put him right up there as probably the third best quarterback in Ohio State history just based on everything that he was able to accomplish. And I think you could certainly make the case that he's the best pure passer Ohio State has ever had. You know, I think what, you know, Troy Smith and Justin Fields were able to do is dual frets. To me puts them at the top of the list, but I think Stroud's right there with Dwayne Haskins in terms of being the best pure passers Ohio State has ever had.
0: Yeah, Dan, it's one of those conversations where it's like, how much are you weighing the, the team accomplishments, right? Are you weighing how much are you weighing wins against Michigan because CJ Stroud doesn't have any of those? How much are you weighing, you know, Big Ten championships because CJ Stroud doesn't have any of those? CFP wins this, that, and the third. So, you know, if you remove all of that and you just talk about the individual player and the individual talent things like that I think it's a different conversation <clears throat> I think you know on a lot of lists though I think he still is going to be docked somewhat just because of some of those you know team factors but Dan you know let's talk about some other stuff with the Ohio State offense here in that game you know coming out of the Michigan game a lot of criticism about Ryan Day and and play calling right that whole conversation that you know we've heard rumblings you know criticism in past years as well about that in certain situations but I mean I think a lot of people thought that that Ryan Day's Play calling was was pretty pretty great in this game. You know, of course, we we talked about the conservative call to to run the ball. You know, after the CJ Stroud scramble there at the end of the game, you know, perhaps that was a mistake. Ryan Day said he didn't you know necessarily regret that call, and CJ Stroud called it a great call. But but this also might be Dan, you know, perhaps the last the last game where Ryan Day actually calls plays. We don't know you know how how much of this is you know 100 concrete. But but Kirk Herbstreit did say on on game day before the the Peach Bowl that. Ryan Day had mentioned in the production meeting with ESPN and everything like that, that, you know, he was at least considering, you know,
1: giving up the play calling duties moving forward. He, you know, when he you know makes an official decision on that, if he ultimately goes through with fact, but, you know, certainly something that's been debated, you know, all year about, you know, whether it's time for Ryan Day to make that change with, you know, all the things that are on his plate as a head coach. Is you know offensive play calling you know something that you know, he needs to take off his plate and it's it's interesting timing because like you said I I think Ryan Day called one of his best games as a play caller against George on Saturday but it's also probably not a coincidence that that came when he had five weeks to prepare I mean we saw him call a great game against Clemson two years ago that also came when he had extra time to prepare when. During the season, he has so much to deal with during a week that he may just not have time to really put together the best possible game plans on a week to week basis. And so, you know, I think that's where, you know, this question comes in of whether he should give up offensive play calling when you just think about all the different things he has to manage as a head coach. And, you know, we talked about it with Jones a few weeks ago about how, you know, if you just look in recent college football history, typically the the most successful coaches have been ones who haven't called their own place. And so, you know, I, I do think that it's a logical thing for Ryan Day to be thinking about right now. Obviously, if he goes that route, then the most important thing becomes picking the right person to actually call the place, you know, because, you know, if Kevin Wilson was still on staff, maybe he would have been the most obvious choice, but Kevin Wilson is no longer on staff. He's now the head coach at Tulsa. And so, you know, they're going to promote somebody, you know, presumably one way or the other to be offensive coordinator, but that title now, you know, it was really in a lot of ways, a title for Kevin Wilson. He was, he was never of a play caller under Ryan day, the only year he actually called plays at Ohio state was his first year in 2017. Then day took over those duties in 2018 and kept them when he became head coach in 2019. And so, you know, the past five years, that was kind of just a title, but if Ryan day decides not to be the offensive play caller anymore, then that becomes a lot more than just a title. That becomes a really important responsibility. And, you know, fact of the matter is none of, none of the other coaches on staff, have ever been a primary offensive play caller. Now, Justin Fry was the offensive coordinator at UCLA for three years from 2019 to 2021, but Chip Kelly was the primary play caller there. Even so, I I would still say that I think Justin Fry is the guy who makes the most sense to be the offensive play caller because he does have experience in that offensive coordinator role. He He's worked with Ryan Day before at Boston College, so they have you know, good familiarity and synergy with each other. And, you know, he's also got that, you know, run game background, which, you know, may bring a little bit more balance to the offense. And so I I think my expectation remains that Justin Fry will likely be the next offensive coordinator. And that if, if Ryan day goes the route of giving up play calling duties, that Justin Fry is most likely the guy to take on those duties. Certainly Brian Hartline's name is in this conversation as well. But, you know, I I think the question with Brian Hartline, and I'm not saying I have the answer, but I think the question Ryan Day has to ask with Brian Hartline is, is he ready to be that offensive coordinator, offensive play caller? You can't just make that move because this guy's the best receivers coach in the country, the best recruiter in the country, and we want to make sure we keep him happy and keep him on staff. If it was just a title, that's fine. But if it's, if it's an offensive play caller, then you've got to, you've got to make sure that whoever you promote into that role is ready to take on that role. And Brian Hartline, there's a good chance he is. I mean, I, I don't doubt that Brian Hartline could do a great job because he's done a great job with everything else he's been asked to do as a coach so far. And so, you know, it's certainly possible that he could be the right guy for that position. But I just think that's the question that Ryan Day needs to ask if that's a path he actually wants to consider going down, because, you know, this Ohio State's offense, you know, well, well, things haven't necessarily been perfect. Ohio State's offense has consistently been one of the best in the country with Ryan Day calling plays. And so I, I think it certainly is possible that changing play callers, could be the best thing for the Ohio State offense, but it has to be the right play caller.
0: Yeah, it feels like there's there's fans that that want it to be Brian Hartline just because that that seems like the the sexier thing to do because Brian Hartline, you know, has got so much acclaim, you know, for his his recruiting, you know, acumen here and, and just a more more of a known commodity, obviously, with the Ohio State fan base and things like that in general. But you know, obviously there are people like Ryan Day and the 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 actual candidates themselves for whoever is going to take over that that know a lot more about, you know, who is best suited for that, that responsibility. Maybe Brad Harlan doesn't want to call plays, you know, maybe, the, maybe that's not something he he's, you know, interested in doing, but we'll have to see on that. I certainly agree with you though, on the Justin Fry thing. I mean, he's, he's been close. He, if he wasn't the primary play caller, he's been closer to that type of thing, you know, at the college level. And, you know, the chip Kelly connection as well, the the past with Ryan day in terms of the coaching side of things, all of that would seem to make sense, but Dan, Let's talk for a minute here. Just uh, I'll, I'll call it a PSA for, for, for people that are, you know, don't be one of those people, Dad. I'll, I'll say this, that's going out and, and, and criticizing or, or DMing Noah Ruggles for the the missed field goal at the end of the game. He had never even made a 50 yard field goal in his college career. You know, he had made a 48 yarder earlier in that game, but I mean, it, it was a pretty low percentage kick there at the end of the game. Um, I think, you know, even Donovan Jackson told me when I asked him in the locker room after the game, like, what was the the feeling for you guys when you when you left the field? Like, did you feel like you needed to get some more yards? or Did you feel like, you know, we've we've got this in the bag? And and he said, like, he had the, all the faith in the world in the special teams guys, but he thought that they needed some some extra yards. And I think that's what a lot of us thought in the press box, too. But but it's also an interesting point, Dan, because we had seen in that that open practice period on Wednesday in Atlanta, Jaden Fielding going out there and attempting, you know, what was it, a 57 yard field goal in practice, which, you know, made us think, you know, does Ohio State pull him into the mix if they're in the situation where they need a very long field goal, but, you know, has hadn't even attempted a kick at the college level. Right. And so, you know, putting and putting him in that spot would have been, you know, quite a decision. You know, we'll never know, though, what would have happened if, if that was the case.
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I fully agree with you that, you know, I, I really hope that, you know, all of our listeners would show more grace than maybe some have regarding Noah Ruggles, because Noah Ruggles is not for reason why Ohio State lost this game. I know if if you're just looking for a simple scapegoat for the game, you you can say that. But no no ruggles is not for reason why Ohio State lost this game. I and then mean, no ruggles was put into that position because the defense gave up a touchdown to 54 seconds left, and then after CJ Stroud's run got Ohio State to the 31 yard line, they couldn't gain any more yards. So Noah Ruggles' missed kick is only one part of the equation for why Ohio State didn't win the game. And realistically, like that—that that was a low percentage kick. I mean, you mentioned this is a guy who's played a lot of college football, he'd never made a 50-yard kick. And so you had to know going into that kick that that was going to be a hard kick for him to make. And I'm not going to get into all the mechanics of why he missed it way wide left or anything like that because I'm certainly not a a kicking expert. But that was a tough kick. That was going to be a really tough kick for him to make. Now, I don't fault... Ryan Day for sending Noah Ruggles out there for that kick because he had just made a 48-yard kick. You know, it it was, it's only two yards difference. And so there was reason to believe that Noah Ruggles could make that kick. But I also think you have to understand that, like, you know, there's a reason why he didn't kick the ball off this year. It's because while he's a very accurate short yardage kicker, he doesn't have a really strong leg to make those longer kicks. And so, you know, I certainly have uh, a tweet I sent from that open practice, got a lot of traction after the game because I had mentioned that, you know, I, I thought that if they had to kick a really long field goal, that maybe Jaden Fielding would be the guy that would get that nod. Now, again, I do I blame Ryan Day for not putting Jaden Fielding out there in that situation? No, because he, he, he hadn't kicked – he's only done kickoffs. He hasn't kicked a field goal or even an extra point in a college game. And, I mean, imagine imagine if Ryan Day had put Jaden Fielding out there and he missed that kick. Uh, imagine what the conversation would be like. If if Ohio State had put a guy out there who's never kicked a field goal and, and put the game on his foot, if he had made it, it would have been a great story. But if he didn't make it, I think there'd be even more second guessing afterwards. And so I don't blame Ryan Day for putting Noah Ruggles in that situation, but I also don't think that Noah Ruggles should be blamed as the reason why Ohio State lost, because that was a really hard kick for him to make. I think you've got to look at everything that led up to that and say, all of that together was why Ohio state was unable to win the game there at the end.
0: Yeah. I haven't really thought about this in this way until right now with us talking about it, but you have to think with all the, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the, the kicker situation, right? Because, you know, bringing in Parker Lewis and, and, you know, the whole, you know, Jake Seibert situation and everything like that. And, uh, you know, it seemed like, you know, is there some uncertainty that in the exact situation that happened do we need a kicker that that you know has has a bigger leg or something like that? And you know, at the end of the day, they they did ride with Ruggles. You know, he doesn't make the kick, and the rest is history. But it, it does make me think that like you know, there was this you know Ryan Day had a had a night where, where where that kept him up that night thinking about you know being in that type of situation, and unfortunately, you know that came back to bite them. But yeah, certainly there was a lot of other plays that that could have swung things, and you know, not allowed. Ohio State to have to come down to that final kick. But Dan, kind of looking at the the year in review now for Ohio, an 11-2 season, the second straight year now with the same exact record. Of course, this year, Ohio State did actually make a CFP appearance. In terms of grading the season, we put up a poll on the site. 54% of voters on 11 Warriors gave Ohio State a B this season, percent gave a C, 17% A, Dan, where do you fall in terms of if you had to assign a letter grade to the 2022 season for the Buckeyes?
1: Yeah, I think the readers got it right. I think a B is a very fair grade for Ohio State's season. I mean, you look at it, they're probably going to finish fourth in the AP Top 25, and at a minimum, they're going to finish in the top six of the AP poll for the ninth straight year, which is pretty damn good. And so, you know, I think, you know, You know, I mean, I I also I understand some of the grades being even lower because Ohio State did for the second year in a row fail to achieve what it considers to be its three major goals, which is beating Michigan, winning the Big Ten, winning the national championship. You know, so the people who had a C or even a D or an F, I, I get it because in terms of a standard that Ohio State has set for itself, Ohio state did fall short of that standard for the second year in a row. I, that's, that's just the truth. Now going 11 and two back-to-back seasons would be great at pretty much any other school other than maybe, you know, Alabama, you know, Georgia, Clemson, I mean, at just about any other school. What Ohio state did the last two years would be, would be an a for sure. At Ohio state, it's not an a it, it's, it's, it's not. And so, you know, I think a B is a very fair grade for, the season. I also think realistically this season is going to be remembered more for the games that Ohio State didn't win than the ones it did, because you know, I don't really think there is a signature win on the resume for Ohio State this season. Certainly the two biggest games of the year were the Michigan game and the college ball playoff game and Ohio State won 0 for 0 and two of those games. But you know, I, I think at the same time Ohio state was one of the four teams that made the college ball playoff. The way they played against Georgia validated that Ohio state was one of the four teams that deserved to be in the college ball playoff. And so I I think that's where a, a B comes in. And I, and I think like we talked about earlier, you know, if Ohio state had gotten blown out by Georgia, I think those poll results would have looked a lot different. I think there would have been a lot more C's D's and F's. So I think the fact that Ohio state was at least competitive in that game, even though moral victories should never be the standard at Ohio state. I think the fact that Ohio State was at least competitive in that game probably improved some people's views of the season. But still, when you consider what the standard is at Ohio State, Ohio State didn't meet that standard, even if it was what would be a great season for almost any other school.
0: And let's get into some superlatives for the season. Best player for you on the Buckeye roster in twenty twenty two.
1: I got to go with Marvin Harrison Jr. just to see all the great plays that that he made as a receiver this year. You know, I think you could certainly make the case that it was a spectacular season. You know, bright right up there of what Jackson Jigba did last year as one of the best seasons we've seen ever from an Ohio State receiver with just all the ridiculous catches he made. I mean, I wrote a story on the site a couple of weeks ago, just ranking the top 12 catches that he made. Uh, For the season, and he had a couple more great plays in, in the CFP game, too. And so, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., just what a phenomenal season he had. And it's pretty cool that we get to watch him play another season at Ohio State because, you know, he's a guy, I think if he was eligible for the NFL draft, he'd probably be a top 10 pick right now. But Ohio State's certainly happy to have him for another year.
0: Yeah, Dan, we didn't even talk about the fact that, you know, on that that play where he got hit in the back of the end zone and got the concussion, he was going to catch that if there, if there was no defender there or, you know, maybe if he high points the ball or something. Like he was in position to make that catch. Like that the fact that he tracked that down and, and I mean the throw from Stroud to, to just throw that thing so high up in the air, so, you know, so far behind the line of scrimmage with multiple, you know, defenders, you know, right in his face. That play could have been, you know, absolutely legendary had Harrison come down with that and he would have come down with it if not for the hit there. But yeah, I have Harrison as my best player as well. I think, you know, if you talk about a, a most valuable player conversation too, the fact that he wasn't on the field and you saw the results for Ohio State in the fourth quarter only speaks to that more. Now, biggest surprise of the season, Dan, I'm going to say just the fact that going into this season, huge expectations for Jackson Smith and Jigba, huge expectations for Travion Henderson. Both of their seasons get derailed with injury. And really, I'll add on to that, the, just the whole running back situation and all the injuries that we saw at running back and just how strange that whole situation got, especially in the last couple of games.
1: Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that Dallin Hayden would be starting at running back for Ohio State in the Beach Bowl? I mean, I, I went into the season, especially before Evan Pryor got hurt. Like, I didn't even know if Dallin Hayden would play this year. Like, I thought he'd probably be a redshirt. And he ended up starting in in the peach bowl and, and having some great performances this year. So that's certainly up there without a doubt is one of the biggest surprises. To take it in another direction, I don't think this is a big surprise to you because you said before of a year that you thought he was going to be the defensive MVP. But I'm just going to go with Tommy Eichenberg becoming an all-American linebacker. I did, you know realistically that's just not something that I envisioned was going to happen this year. I don't think that many Ohio State fans envisioned that was going to happen this year. For for him to become the, the player he became this year, I think was certainly a very pro- positive surprise for Ohio State. And he's, he's a guy that has a decision to make. We'll see if he ends up deciding to return to Ohio State for one more year or enter the NFL draft. He certainly played well enough this year to legitimize himself as an NFL draft prospect. But just to see him, you know, become one of the best linebackers in the country, It's certainly not something that I had on my bingo card going into the year.
0: For sure. Then most memorable moment of the season. I wrote down a couple, but I feel like, you know, if I had more time to, to really process and think back, perhaps I would come up with something else, but just off the top of my head, you know, JT's performance against Penn state was pretty unforgettable just in terms of what he was able to do at the end of that throughout that game, but especially how he really closed the show for Ohio state in that fourth quarter against Penn state, you know, I'm also going to, going to nominate that, that, that throw CJ Stroud had to Harrison that went for a touchdown on, on a kind of scramble at ad lib play for Stroud against Georgia. I thought that might've been, you know, considering the the stakes and the the defense that, that Ohio State was playing in that one, that might be the the best play CJ Stroud's ever made in a Buckeye uniform.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, if I'm going to go most memorable moment, I got to go with Cam Babs touchdown against Indiana, just the, How special that moment was for him with what his journey at Ohio State has been, all the injuries he's had to overcome for him to get that special moment and then to see the way the team embraced him after that moment and celebrated with him. That's one of the coolest things that I've seen in my time covering Ohio State and really even watching sports. And that was just such a special moment. And so I think that has to go to the top of the list for me is the moment I'm going to remember most. From this season, a couple others that come to mind, I mean, from that same game, that ridiculous catch fit Marvin Harrison Jr. had, I still see Garrick's photo with somehow getting that one foot in bounds. I mean, that, that was certainly one of the greatest catches I've ever seen in, in person and one that I think is going to be replayed for a long time. And then, you know, going all the way back to the start of a season too, Xavier Johnson coming in, replacing Jackson Smith and Jigbutt slot receiver. Catches a touchdown to put Ohio State in front of a game. Then the very next play runs down the field and makes a tackle in kickoff coverage. You know, you guys know I'm I'm somebody who who loves seeing a story of a walk on, you know, become a really productive player for Ohio State. And that's certainly something that Xavier Johnson did this year. And I think that that moment in particular really encapsulated why Xavier Johnson became a valuable player for Ohio State and not just another walk on.
0: Dan, that, that Xavier Johnson touchdown in the Peach Bowl is going to be like a, a great forgotten moment in Ohio State history because that was a sweet play that spin movie had, you know, kind of channeling the, the Braxton Miller Virginia Tech spin move for, with the touchdown. And really, you think about just the, the big plays. I mean, he didn't have a, a, a whole t- a lot of touches, but when he did get touches, he made some really standout plays in, in electric touchdowns for Ohio State this season. So that's a, a good, good shout out on that one as well. But Dan, uh, let's branch out here a little bit. So some other things that I'm sure Ohio State fans are going to be looking at closely here. And one report in particular regarding Jim Harbaugh, who, you know, Dan, it seems like every offseason there's there's NFL rumors, especially last year, of course, when it looked like Harbaugh was was very close to, you know, heading back to the NFL. There was a report from The Athletic the other day that said that, you know, if Jim Harbaugh gets an offer to coach in the NFL, then it's, it's pretty much a done deal at that, at that point. What do you make of that report, Dan? Do you think that's, you know, a lot of people are like, I'm joking that you know is Harbaugh just just leaking this stuff you know to try to get another raise this that and the third. What do you make of that conversation?
1: Yeah, I mean we've been here before, right? We were here we were here last year. It feels like we're we're just playing hits here because last year there was all the talk about him wanting to go to the NFL. He actually interviewed with the Minnesota Vikings before coming back to Michigan. Now I think the the big question there is. If Jim Harbaugh had actually gotten an offer from the Minnesota Vikings, which reports are that he didn't, if he had actually gotten that offer, would he have gone? We may never know that. But, you know, I think think it's real. I think his interest in the NFL is real, and I think he's going to entertain conversations from the NFL, wherever that be the Denver Broncos, Indianapolis Colts, Carolina Panthers. You know, I think there's certainly going to be teams that are interested in him because I mean, he took the 49ers to the Super Bowl when he was an NFL coach, he's taken Michigan to the college ball playoff in back to back years. And so I think certainly there's reason for him to be a hot name for NFL teams that are looking for a new coach. But I don't know that I quite buy the quote done deal report here. I i, I don't know that I'm, I, I quite buy that. I, I think, it's certainly possible that this could be a leverage play for Jim Harbaugh to get another raise at Michigan. And just think in general, I think Jim Harbaugh is just the kind of guy that you never can quite get a full read on where his head is at. And so I won't be stunned if Jim Harbaugh leaves to go to the NFL, but you know, this feels like it's very much up in the air to me. And I, First of all, it's gonna depend on whether he actually gets an offer. That's that's the first thing. And you know, you know, did he not interview well at Minnesota last year? We don't really know that. You know, I think certainly there's some destinations that seem like they could be logical for Jim Harbaugh in this NFL coaching cycle. The Colts certainly jumped to mind considering he played there and he's in the team's ring of honor. But I think if I had to put money on it right now. Which was something we can legally do now living here in Ohio. If I had to put money on it right now, I would bet on Jim Harbaugh still being Michigan's coach next year.
0: Yeah, we could have had Ohio State Michigan part two in the national championship game. Instead, neither of those teams end up winning. We're going to have Georgia, TCU, the opening line, I believe it had Georgia as a 13 and a half point favorite. Dan, I'm just going to say, based on what I saw from TCU over the weekend, I am expecting a closer game than that. You know, I don't I don't necessarily have an exact score prediction for you on that one. But I'm going to say that Georgia ends up getting the job done, but TCU is not going to make it easy on last year's national champion.
1: I'm with you there. I mean I mean, first of all, like what a story it would be if TCU actually wins this thing. I mean, they I saw somewhere that they had 200 to 1 odds before the season. Win the national championship. And, you know, you you think of this sport and how it's really been dominated by these traditional powers and teams that are bringing in top recruiting classes. And TCU is not one of those programs. I mean, they're not a team that has, I think they have one five star recruit um, on their roster. They're, They're not a team that has, you know, the massive resources that an Ohio State or a Georgia or an Alabama does, but they've got a chance to win the national championship. And so that would be quite a story. I think certainly the biggest upset of the CFP era. If TCU was to win the national title on Monday night, I do. I do think Georgia is going to win the game though. That my, my pick, I agree with you. I think Georgia is going to win, but I don't think they're going to cover. I I think, I think we've seen TCU all year. They, they find a way they are very competitive. And so I, I see it being a, you know, one or two score game, you know, I'll say, you know, within 10 points, but we saw it on Saturday night. Georgia's a tough team to beat. They, they, they are so good in so many areas. And it seems like whenever they are in a tight game, they, they, they find a way to get it done. And they ultimately prove to be the better team in the end. And so I'm going to say that's what happens on Monday night. I think Georgia Will win. I think Georgia will repeat as national champions, but I think TCU's gonna give them a competitive game. And, and let's hope so, because this has been a, a fantastic bowl season. I mean, it just been a lot of great games. I mean, even on Monday, Tulane coming back to beat USC. And just throughout the bowl season, there's been a lot of really good competitive football. I, I would say that this year's Two CFP semifinals are the best pair of semifinal games we've seen in the CFP era of both games being great competitive games. So as an objective observer, as, as somebody who doesn't have to worry about having two game recaps written for whether Noah Ruggles makes or misses his field goal and Ohio <laughs> State winning or losing the game, as somebody who can just sit back and enjoy that game on Monday, I just hope we get a really great competitive game.
0: Yeah, Dan. Those 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 two semis. By the way, I'll just throw this out there because I looked it up. The twelve of the sixteen semifinals, I believe, going into this year, were are all were fourteen or more point you know margins of victory for for the winner in those games. And then both of these ones end up being you know instant classics this year. I mean, it really bringing the excitement back to you know this year's playoff. And especially when I, I saw people saying on Twitter, you know, going into these games, like. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a, a ton of juice for, for these matchups this year, but the, the, the games both ended up delivering and them then some, and I will certainly be excited to watch the national championship game on Monday. But Dan, let, let's roll into some some basketball here quickly. Ohio State has a big one coming up on Thursday, hosting the number one team in the country, Purdue, which, you know, if this game was played a few days later, you know, Purdue might not actually be the number one team in the country after suffering its first loss of the season to Rutgers, a one-point lo- a one loss at Mackey Arena on Monday. But they're going to be number one when Ohio State plays them, which is going to give the Ohio State and Chris Holman specifically a chance to notch a third home win over the number one team in the country after Duke last year and then Michigan State back in uh, January of 2018. You know, they're, they're, they're starting to get a, a bit of a reputation for doing that. And if they get another one of those, and I think it's a winnable game to, to be quite candid when you look at the fact that Purdue just suffered a loss against a team that Ohio State edged out a win over. And the fact that Ohio State-Purdue games have been very close matchups these last few years.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've seen Ohio State rise to the occasion in these games. And so, if you know, if Ohio State was to win this game, I would certainly not be shocked. Ohio State's coming into this game with some good momentum Free straight wins for the Buckeyes, including a 73 to 57 win over Northwestern on Sunday. But, you know, let's not make any mistake. This is going to be a huge test for the Buckeyes, particularly in the front court, because Zach Eady has arguably been the best player in college basketball this year. The seven foot four center has averaged 21.7 points per game and 13.4 rebounds per game. So, you know, this is a guy we've just seen get better and better over his college career, and he really knows how to use that incredible size that he has now. And, you know, Ohio State, we've talked about it before. This is not a particularly big Ohio State team. So Zed Key and Felix Akpara, job number one is those guys can't get into early foul trouble because if those guys aren't on the floor, Ohio State doesn't really have any other good options to guard Zach Eady. And so this is going to be a massive test for those guys. How how well can, can they Compete with Zach Eadie and keep him from dominating the game, and I, I think that is probably going to be the biggest deciding factor for Ohio State and whether it actually can win this game. I think the the other thing I'm looking for in this game is will the rise will a rise of Bryce Sensabaugh continue? We we've seen him Sensabaugh just continue to get better and better and be one of the best freshmen in the country, and these are the kind of games where. They need him to continue to play at that level. They need him to to be able to be that primary scorer for them. So I think those are the two things I'm I'm really looking at in this game for Ohio State. That I think could could determine whether the Buckeyes win or lose this one.
0: A scary thought for Ohio State. Chris Holman said on the radio on Tuesday that he heard over the summer that Zach Eadie might have. Even grown another inch to become 6'5 or maybe even taller than that. And you know, he certainly has figured out how to use his size and, and every inch of that in the post for Purdue. After the matchup with the Boilermakers, Ohio State goes on the road to take on Maryland, who was sitting at 10 and 4 this season, but you know, did have a, a, a massive blowout loss to Michigan on Sunday, 81-46. Half would have to think Ohio State will probably be favored in that one, you know, pending what happens in the Purdue game. But a couple of you know Big Ten matchups coming up for the Buckeyes as they continue to to trudge along here in that gauntlet stretch of Big Ten play.
1: What do you think, Griffin? Will, will the Buckeyes pull it off against Purdue on Thursday night?
0: I'm going to say Ohio State gets the job done against Purdue, to be honest with you, just because the the, the the Ohio State-Purdue games have been so good the last few years. Remember, they only played once last year, but it ended on that Jaden Ivey buzzer beater after, I believe, a, a big comeback late from Ohio State. There was that great game in the Big Ten tournament a couple seasons ago. I think the last, however many games, have all been decided by like, or, or every game. has its lost to Purdue of the last like four have all been seven point games or, or fewer. And you know they've they've gotten a lot of looks at Zach Eady over the years. I just I just worry. You know, like you said, are we gonna be or are we gonna have to see Isaac likely guarding Zach Eady at six five at some point in this game if he gets those other two guys in foul trouble?
1: Yeah. I'm going to go the other way on this one. I, I think it's going to be a great game, and I, like I said, I won't be surprised if Ohio State wins. But I, I do question how how well they can handle Edie, and and if if Zed Key gets into foul trouble, you know, could that cause major problems for Ohio State? So I'm I'm going to say Purdue in a close one, but re- really looking forward to watching that one. You know especially now that you know it's it's basketball season at Ohio State, and so I I, I imagine for a lot of our listeners. You know, that that game on Thursday, that may be the first time that they really locked in on watching Ohio State basketball this year. And so certainly one that, you know, we're going to be looking forward to to watching this week. Got to mention Ohio State women's basketball team as well. They continue to dominate. They're now 15 and 0 after a win over Michigan. So they have now tied the best start in program history still ranked number three in the country. A team that really looks like it has final four aspirations and even more impressively doing this without two of their top guards because J.C. Sheldon has been out for most of the year with a foot injury. Some unfortunate news coming in last week that, that Madison Green will be out for the rest of the year for the second straight year after suffering a serious knee injury. So that's you know very unfortunate loss for Ohio State. But we, we've seen this team so far they've been able to overcome those injuries there's a lot of depth on this team one player in particular who who we got to shout out is cody mcmahon who has now won big 10 freshman of a week honors four weeks in a row she's made a huge immediate impact for the buckeyes with 12.4 points 3.9 rebounds 2.3 steals and 2.1 assists per game in her freshman year and so she stepped up in a big way you know a lot a lot of players on that team have really stepped up and taken their game to new levels this year and i'm really looking forward to watching that team over the next few months as well because i think they certainly the way they've been playing look like they have a chance to have one of the best seasons we've ever seen from that program
0: yeah dan and while the the football season is now over for the buckeyes I mean, certainly if you guys are, are wanting to see how the roster is shaping up for next season, they're going to be, you know, transfer portal announcements, NFL draft decisions, all of that coming at you hot and heavy over the next several weeks here. So we will have all that covered for you. And uh, that's it for me, Dan.
1: Yeah, well, I think next week's show, we'll start looking ahead a little bit more to 2023. We spent this week looking back really on, on 2022 and recapping that final game of a season. So, you know, when we come back next week, we'll start looking ahead to, you know, the outlook for 2023 and some of the biggest questions that are going to have to be answered over the next eight months for the Ohio State football team, as well as like Griffin said, you know, any developments that might take place over the next week in terms of NFL draft declarations and and transfer portal additions or subtractions and whatnot. And of course, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, how the week goes for the Ohio State basketball team as well. So hope you will continue to tune in. Even though the Ohio State football season is over, as we'll still be coming at you every week with fresh content. So, thanks so much for listening to us all season long. Happy New Year to everybody out there, and we'll talk to you next week.